Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There are those among us who get it into their heads to tackle a major endurance challenge no matter the obstacles. Some people are just driven to attempt difficult physical feats. Today we'll talk with some of those people who set distance athletic goals and work to achieve them. Their journeys have both successes and setbacks and everything in between. We'll hear their stories of going the distance right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Montana Governor Greg Gianforte has vetoed a bill that would have funded Lake County's law enforcement services on the Flathead Reservation. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton reports. The bill would have used state money to pay Lake County $5 million for providing law enforcement on the reservation. County officials have argued residents can no longer afford to pay for those services. Lake County, the state, and the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes entered into an agreement in the 1960s outlining that the county would provide law enforcement on the reservation. Lake County commissioners earlier this year withdrew from the agreement, saying that the state is responsible for picking up the work later this year. Gene Forte wrote in his veto letter that when Lake County entered into the agreement, it, quote, agreed to bear the corresponding costs for the benefit of its residents, both tribal and non-tribal, unquote. Gene Forte also said the state isn't responsible for funding law enforcement on the reservation and pointed out the county had opposed handing over law enforcement jurisdiction to CSKT in the past. Tribal officials did not respond to a request for comment by deadline. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. In Rapid City, Native leaders met with federal emergency response agencies, Bureau of Indian Affairs officials, and elected representatives to improve local disaster response strategies. This comes after storms froze South Dakota's reservations all winter. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's C.J. Keene has more. It was a winter sure to be remembered on the Rosebud Reservation near the South Dakota-Nebraska border, where infrastructure was tested by blizzard snowfall measured in the feet rather than the inches. South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds spoke at the event. He says this is an opportunity to establish connections before emergencies like that happen again. With regard to tribal trust land and land that's on the reservations, primary authority for law enforcement, for zoning and so forth lies with the tribe. You want to make sure that you're communicating or coordinating with law enforcement. Well, if you talk about it in advance before you have the emergency, then those individuals know one another and they're better able to respond when they know each other and they know whose responsibility it is and they know where the resources are at. He says while the federal government wants to help in these situations, there's an unavoidable sovereignty question. We all recognize that there is a sovereignty among the tribes, but that sovereignty works fine until you need resources that the tribe does not have immediately on hand. And that's when you have to say, okay, we have different levels of government, how do we work together so that we can provide the immediate assistance to the people that expect us to be able to help them? Frank Starr comes out as the president of the Oglala Sioux Tribe. He says he appreciates seeing firsthand efforts. The main thing is communication, the talks, and we're getting that out there. We're starting to organize, getting all these resources from different government agencies to come out to Indian country, meet with us personally, 
and to really take a look at how life is on our, on our reservations. Among other groups, the Great Plains Tribal Chairmen's Association, FEMA, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs were present. For National Native News in Rapid City, I'm C.J. Keene. U.S. Senators Martin Heinrich, Ben Ray Lujan, Elizabeth Warren, and more than 20 of their colleagues have reintroduced the Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding Schools Policies in the U.S. Act. The legislation was first introduced in 2020 by then-Congresswoman Deb Holland. It was then reintroduced in 2021 by Representatives Sharice Davids and Tom Cole. The bill would establish a formal commission to investigate, document, and acknowledge the impacts of federal Indian boarding school policies on Native Americans. The commission would also develop recommendations for Congress for healing efforts and to provide a forum for the sharing of personal experiences. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Support from the Self-Governance Communication and Education Tribal Consortium, presenting the 2023 Tribal Self-Governance Conference at the River Spirit Resort starting June 26th. Registration closes June 23rd at tribalselfgov.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. A 77-year-old Native elder is getting ready for a bike ride that will span more than 1,000 miles from Tahlequah, Oklahoma to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Once he reaches his destination, he'll compete in the National Senior Games Association. Simeon Gibson is among a handful of Native athletes who possess the mental determination and physical endurance to achieve big goals. Along the way, they learn about failure, setbacks from injuries, and what it means to embrace a challenge that at best seems difficult. Today we'll talk with some Native endurance athletes about what it takes to plan, train, and compete. Have you taken on a big athletic challenge recently? Have you always wanted to? Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also leave a comment on our social media pages. We've got five guests on our show today representing Native communities from across the U.S. and Canada. Joining us first from Tahlequah, Oklahoma, is Simeon Gibson. He is a Cherokee and Choctaw elder and a cyclist. Simeon, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. Yes, I was, I was here in 2019, I think. Well, it's been too long, for sure. It's time to get you back on. Four years is too long, so I'm glad you're back here today. And Simeon, tell us about this big bike trek you have coming up. Why bike all the way from Tahlequah to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Uh, well, I guess... The main reason I'm going there is there every two years the there's a national senior games in which athletes from all over the United States come and compete in Olympic style competition set up and there's 21 20 I think 21 different events track and field basketball softball that kind of thing and they just happen to have cycling and I and I bicycle so I I, I got into this because one day after I, I raced in 
Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I was talking to a gentleman there, and I just happened to wonder. Uh, I, I thought I was wondering to myself, and I said, uh, I think I might be riding to Pittsburgh, and it just kind of grew from there. <laughs> so uh, it, it became an, uh, I guess it went out on national, and I said, well, I guess I got to do it. <laughs> well, it's I'm interesting not, how it just kind of transpired I'm not, I'm like not, that. Yeah, I'm not normally a long distance rider, but I'm but I'm going to do this. I, my my races are on, are usually five uh, k's, ten k's, twenties, and forties. But this so one, yeah, I'm, this is going to be a huge, huge uh, increase in, in that mileage. So, Simon, how are you going to do this? I mean, a thousand miles. Obviously, you're not going to do that all in one ride. How are you going to break it down? How many miles are you going to ride a day? I'm going to I'm going to start out probably doing. Oh, uh, I'm going to guess uh, 60 to 80 miles a day. Okay. And uh, when I get out on the on the flats a little bit, I'll hope to boost that up to maybe 120. Wow. And then so you're going to be on... when I get, into, when I get back into the mountains again. When I get back into the mountains again, I'll go back down to 60, 80 miles a day. Oh, that's, that's right, because you're going to hit those Appalachian Mountains there when you get into that western... Pennsylvania area. So I'm doing the quick math here. Simeon, you're going to be on the road for what, like two weeks? Uh, well, I'm going to be away from home on the road for approximately a month because uh, there'll be some downtime. There'll be some times the mornings when I wake up and say, I'm not doing this today. <laughs> and uh, so there'll be some, there'll be a, a few layovers. So it sounds like you're going to, you're going to do this at your own pace and, and you're not going to, put yourself under too much pressure with regard to a specific time or something like that. So how long have you been, been cycling, Simeon? Uh, bicycling itself. I've been, I've been doing it for about 15 years, I guess, when I really got into it. Uh, racing in competition, probably 10 years. 10 years. And... I tried it and enjoyed it. Even though, even though I have yet to win on a national level, I'm going to try. All righty. And what initially drew you to the sport? Health. When I, when I retired 10 years, 10, 11 years ago, I weighed right at 250 pounds. I was taking two or three different diabetic medicines. Uh, and I just kind of said to myself, there's got to be something better than this. And I told my son one day, uh, I'm thinking about exercising, maybe bicycling. That's I don't have to run. It's not hard that hard on the body. Uh, so he he bought me a bicycle, and I've been on the road since. Mm. Uh, now I'm currently okay. Like I said, I weigh close to 250 pounds. I now race at about 170, 175. I don't take and any kind of diabetic meds, meds or any other kind of meds except aspirin. That sounds like a really healthy body weight for you. How tall are you, Simeon? Uh, right at six foot. Wow. You sound like you're just in fantastic shape. And so how often do you train just year? Do you ride year round? Is this something you do consistently or do you only kind of really buckle down when you have big competitions and races coming up? Uh, I ride practically every day year round. Uh, I'll cycle during the, during the winter months. Here, I'll probably cycle maybe 50, 60 miles uh, a day. 
comes come summer when it gets dark to warm up spring summer I'll, I'll do uh, about 100 to 130 miles a day mm-hmm. it's not hard. It, I, I don't know how to train I just I just ride my bike because I like it Sounds I have no, like I have no training schedule you just go out there when you feel the passion. It sounds like Simeon. Simeon, we've already got a caller on the line. Lisa, who is listening online in Durango, Colorado, has a question for you. Hello, Lisa. Hi, how are you? We're doing great. What do you want to ask Simeon? Well, I've had the pleasure of meeting Simeon by happenstance recently before I headed out to Durango. I'm in Durango right now. And I just, first thing I want to do is compliment him because I think he inspires so many and I'm inspired by many different people, but I got to tell you, Simeon is really, truly quite incredible. He's really impressive. So the question that I have for you, Simeon is what is your favorite part of the ride? Which ride would that be? Lisa, is this the iron horse ride? ride? Any ride. Okay. any, Any ride because see, as a cyclist, because I'm also a cyclist, I'm racing this weekend at Iron Horse Bicycle Classics, and I'm also from Tahlequah. So, <laughs> so when for me, when I when I say, "What's your favorite part of the ride?" and and I think Simeon would probably agree with this as a cyclist, whether it's a race, a ride, a train, or just you just decided to go decompress and get on your bicycle, you always have a favorite part of the ride, and for everybody, it's a different something. Gotcha. And so, yeah. So for Simeon, what is your favorite part of the ride? Well, being a cyclist, Lisa, you know that the that the cool down portion of it is also part of the ride. So that is my favorite portion. When 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 we stop, uh, numerous people gathered around, getting to visit, getting to visit with them, drinking our coffee, beer, whatever we drink. That's my favorite part of the ride. <laughs> Lisa, tell us a little bit more about this Iron Horse ride. Is that this weekend? It is. It is a ride in Durango, Colorado. It is 52 miles of riding your bicycle from Durango to Silverton at 6,800 vertical feet. You go over two 10,000-foot passes, one at Colbank and one at Molas. And it is a very challenging ride, although I'm pretty sure Simeon wouldn't have any issues whatsoever going over it at all. That is a that is a lot of elevation there, ten thousand feet. Thank you, Lisa, for calling in. And Simeon, I want to ask you because you're no stranger to to high elevations, but nothing close to ten thousand miles, at least not there in Tahlequah. I can't imagine. We don't have or anything 10, like that feet. here. The highest <laughs> level I've ever raced that was when we when I raced in uh, Santa Fe. They put us they put a, well the Albuquerque Senior Games in in uh, Albuquerque like two years ago, in 2019. We they had no good place for us to ride, so they sent us to Santa Fe, and and we raced at six and seven thousand feet. That's how I stopped it on a bike. Okay, well, Simeon, we're gonna have to take a break here in a couple minutes. But uh, as part of this whole trek, you're also gonna compete there at the Senior Games. Now, will those be biking events that you'll be competing in as well? They'll be they'll be cycling events. I'll, I'll do I do the uh, I'll be doing the ten k and the. 40k which is roughly six miles and 25 miles now after having already ridden a thousand miles are are you you gonna be okay to go another i guess it'll be easy at that point huh yeah i'm i'm I'm, uh i'm getting a a gentleman in pittsburgh has kindly offered to to put me up when i get there and i can get there as early as i want to and i'm 
I intend to be there at least uh, at least two weeks before before I have to race. And Simeon, tell us about your family. How do they support you in your athletic endeavors? Well, my my son, my son has uh, has, has both both good bikes that I've I've had. My son has purchased for me. He bought when I first started out. He bought me a Klein, which is out of business now. I think they were bought up by a Trek some years back. Uh, and now, and now I'm riding a Specialized. Uh, he bought that for me also. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not like some some of the riders I compete against are ride, riding bikes that are probably seven to ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars a bike. So mine is kind of entry level at this point. <laughs> the other person who I who I have to give a shout out to is is my wife Victoria. She's uh, she feeds she feeds me the way I kind of need to need to be fed. She helped me get back on my feet. As health, as far as health goes. Well, that's good to know that you have so much support there from your family. And yeah, I know uh, racing and touring bikes. Boy, you can sure spend a lot of money on those. But it sounds like you've got a, a great rig that you've uh, put together there with the support of your son. So, Simeon, I just appreciate you so much joining the show today and uh, sharing your passion. And best of luck to you when you embark on this uh, thousand-mile trek there from Tahlequah, Oklahoma over to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Anybody else who would like to give us a call today and share any of your highlights from your endeavors as a cyclist, as a runner, give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. What happens when a chef loses his sense of smell? For one First Nations restaurateur, it was time for a serious reflection on his life and work. We'll hear about that and Native competitors on a TV cooking show. That's on the next Native America Calling. In Abandano no ge abada kin, Jiwidu kawindwa and Shinabe kweg beba kane peat is a jig. Nawaj jigikendaman, mawadishiwain, go.cms.gov slash women's health checklist. Gaundinagadeg, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about physical endurance, running, cycling, hiking, canoeing, long distances. Give us a call if you'd like to share your experience as an endurance athlete. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our next guest is joining us from southeastern Alaska, Chief Gary Harrison of Chickaloon Village. Chief Harrison, great to have you on the show. Good morning. Um, it's South Central Alaska. Southeast is a little bit down by the islands. I'm about 78 miles out of Anchorage, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Peace and Dignity Run. And it starts in South America and Alaska at the same time, and they meet in the middle. It was um, first started by 
I believe some people in um, some elders and medicine people down in Guatemala and in in the past there was runners that used to run from place to place and they would like have a staff with a message on it and they would uh, run from long distances and they were great runners um, at one point in time I probably could have been one of them but at this point in time not really mm-hmm. also um, another lady who starts up here in Alaska and we generally meet um, by toke is Sarah James she runs has a group that runs out of Fairbanks and we have a group that generally runs. We started in Anchorage. We've started in several of the other villages, Eklutna, Chickaloon. And I helped support them through to Canada. And what happens is there's a core group of runners that um, is organized. I'm not sure who's organizing it this year or next year, rather. It runs every four years. It started in uh, 1992, and the only time we didn't have a run was in 2020 um, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. I've helped them run all the way through every four years, and the first time we had some really strong runners uh, who had run several miles at a time the second year we had some other good runners but we found that we needed to um, have some of the runners not run so long because the piece between Chickaloon and Glen Allen is a very rough piece it goes up and down the mountains and a lot of runners were getting hurt uh-huh. Um, so we've had to have them not run so much so that they would, um, right. Right. Pace con- them. It sounds right. like for sure. Chief, I yeah. want to ask you, so this peace and dignity journey, and I, you've been an organizer with this for several years. And in addition to just the, the running, there's a spiritual side of this with regard to these folks that travel from Alaska down to, to South America. Can you talk about that spiritual side as well? Well, it's actually a spiritual run, and the run is a prayer in itself. And what many people do while they're running is they pray for their people, their family, their elders, their community, uh, pray for the world, um, because many times there's some bad things going on in the world, and prayer never hurts. And uh, so it is a spiritual journey. And it's a prayer run, basically. Um, And a lot of times they have a core group that comes up and then others from the different communities join and run as well. So it's not just a, a run for run's sake. You're right. It is a very spiritual experience. And if you ever go on it, um, you'll understand that more. 
And Chief, about how many runners total take this uh, journey? Well, we've had a, just under a dozen that would come up and be like the core group of runners. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we've had a, a dozen. And then other community members would join probably, you know, we've had 20, 30 community members join in the run as well. And it's from the different communities, like all of the communities don't run all of the way. They basically, a lot of them just run till the next community. And then um, others from that community help take over. So it's um, it's an interesting experience. A lot of people don't really understand that um, there used to be a lot of uh, running from community to community because with colonization, it's kind of stopped a lot of the practices that we used to have. And it's just a way to um, get back to some of our culture and uh, do it in a good way with prayer. Chief Harrison, this sounds like a a fantastic uh, undertaking, a spiritual journey as you describe it. And I really thank you for joining us today. I know your time is limited, but thank you again, Chief Gary Harrison of Chickaloon Village, who's joining us from South Central Alaska. Our next guest is in our Albuquerque studio today, Dustin Martin. He is the executive director of Wings of America, and he is Danae. Dustin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me on again. Absolutely. Well, Dustin, are you feeling inspired by listening to our guest today? Certainly. Um, I've heard of the Peace and Dignity Run before, and to hear more accounts is always a good thing. And Simeon, man, what a! I sure hope that I have that ambition, let alone ability at that age. (laughs) I as well. I as well, Dustin. Well, Dustin, tell us, what first turned you on to endurance sports? Um, I think probably the sound of my mom going out for a morning run uh, pretty consistently was was what turned me on to the idea of it. But I grew up uh, south of Gallup, New Mexico, and had the opportunity to, to watch some pretty awesome runners from the Gallup area, runners like Felicia Gulliford and C.R. Davis, just you know, they were my heroes when I was a sixth, seventh grade. Um, and so I just, I just wanted to be like them. And I always thought I would be a Gallup Bengal. I ended up going to high school in Albuquerque. Um, but running was the thing that kind of kept me going and kept, kept my direction all along the way. So imagine you did cross country and track in high school. and I did. Yeah. Both in, in high school and in, in college. And, um, like I said, I, I kind of, I went to school more so so I could run, I think, rather than having uh, strict academic goals, which, um, you know, in, in retrospect, uh, seems a little silly, but it, it was, like I said, it, it kept me it kept me true, and it also gave me an activity to just help me be me along the way. And since your, your, your high school and college days, you continue to run, what kinds of races, what kind of events do you enter now? Um, well, I also serve as the executive director for an organization called Wings of America, which has promoted running uh, for Native American youth for almost 35 years now, uh, based in Santa Fe for a long time, but now in Albuquerque. And so um, since I graduated college, you know, some people 
they finish, you know, they hang up their spikes and they say, I'm done with competition. But my work with wings, you know, running continued to be my job. And I had to model the behavior that I was preaching in order to, to be good at my job. And so aside from encouraging the next generation of very talented competitive runners um, that are all out there, especially, you know, all across Indian country, but here in the Southwest, we're especially proud of that tradition, I think. But aside from that competition, you know, Wings has fortunately exposed me to that more community-based and spiritual side of the activity uh, that is, you know, pretty unique to indigenous communities. Um, and like previous guests have talked about, it's it's a very spiritual thing and it can be a very healing thing for not only those that engage in it, but for, for the land, I believe. In Wings of America, do you have any events coming up? We do. We're really getting excited for our summer running camps. Um, typically, these are day camps, two-day camps, where we hire a staff of three teams, uh, three teams of seven facilitators to go out. These are all high school and college-age native runners to go out and, and coordinate camps to just get kids moving during the summer. Um, you know, I think that is part of our lifestyle as indigenous people, um, but really quickly with uh, you know, modern amenities, we've been encouraged to forget how much movement is a part of who we are and of of our health. And so, like I said, Wings hires these young mentors to go out there and take kids for a run in the morning and then the rest of the day just play games that keep them moving, laughing and having fun. Um, and along the way, we teach them about seminal Native running historical figures such as Tarzan Brown or Patty Dillon or Billy Mills or even further back than that, Pope. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, I'm very, very fortunate that running kind of led me towards an education and towards a career, but I feel even more thankful that it, it's really reconnected me to community and to, I think, um, kind of a core of who we are as indigenous people. Dustin, this sounds like a, a really progressive organization. And it sounds to me also like the goal here is to foster a, a lifelong pursuit uh, of health, wellness, and spirituality through running. Absolutely. Um, and through connection with the land, you know, um, we will be coordinating a couple of special uh, camps that we've only been doing for a couple of summers now. We're calling these endurance camps. But aside from running, participants get the opportunity to be exposed to mountain biking and also the process of trail building and maintenance. And so with partners like Silver Stallion and Gallup and Navajo Yes uh, on the Navajo Nation, we're able to just host these these couple camps this, this summer. We'll be hosting one camp in Monument Valley right at the beginning of June and then a, a second camp uh, at Camp Asahi on the Navajo Nation. And these are for our, our typically our summer running camps are for six to eighteen year olds all ages, but these endurance camps are overnight experiences, a little more immersive, and so we're limiting that to twelve to eighteen year olds. But if certainly you're you're in the Southwest, please take a look at the Wings website and consider, you know, giving your young person the opportunity to be out there with other young people on the land and just moving constantly because there's a lot of reward in that. And Dustin, for anyone listening today who, who does some running or thinking about running, can you offer any tips for endurance, endurance training and running, especially long distances? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, for me, the I guess I offer some interesting perspective on this at this particular moment because I haven't been able to run really for the last six months consistently. I have this Haglund's deformity on my heel that's just really painful. And so 
you know, I think it's really just finding joy in the process and in the time that you spend out moving. And if you can't do that, then um, find a way to do it. Uh, because, you know, people will say, oh, well, you need to choose a goal and train for a 5K or train for a 10K or something like that. But I think uh, maybe it's more important that you find a reason other than just I need to be this fast or I need to be this weight uh, to get out there on a daily basis. Um, and if you can find the joy in that and appreciate that opportunity to get out there and embrace the day and that some people they don't even run outside and that's that's fine if they can find the joy in that process of getting on a treadmill then more power to them um but for me i think it's the the even though i can really only go for walks consistently for this most recent time uh just getting out to to be outside is is the big reward well dustin thank you again for joining us and, and sharing all of these insights with regard to your experience and your knowledge about running and just different approaches for how to pursue this passion. Folks, our phone lines are open right now, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number if you have a question or a comment. We're talking about endurance sports today, so if you are an endurance athlete or you have a family member who is, we'd love to hear some stories. Once again, 1-800-996-2848. Let's bring in our next guest now, and he's joining us from Manitoba, Canada, Kelly Linklater, and he's from the Pakatawagan Cree Nation. Kelly, welcome to Native America Calling. Hey, hello, Dancer. How's it going? It's going great, Kelly, and I'm excited to talk with you as well. Now, last year you competed in a 1,000-mile canoe race down the Yukon River. Tell us about it. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Um, um, oh, so it's a 1,000-mile race, and um, that, uh, we finished in 7 days, 17 hours. And, um, so we, 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 we would, what we would do is we would paddle 18 hours a day, find a camp wherever you can camp, you know, they're not, uh, and then we would sleep three, four hours, get up and do it again for, you know, seven days and then the 17 hours. But along the way, um, uh, we, we experienced, um, like bears coming into our camp, you know, we'd wake up in, a we'd wake up and there's this one bear sniffing at our tent. And, <laughs> um, of course, uh, well, I, um, my partner said, bear. like, you know what I mean? And I jumped up and I went, I dove into where the, uh, the bear, the bear, bear base was. And I, I accidentally <laughs> sprayed the tent. So we're <laughs> coming out of the tent all, <laughs> anyway, but there, were, but there was a team, there was a team from uh, the United Kingdom. I could hear them just before, but just before I, I noticed that bear, like in my dream, I could hear somebody yelling, "Hey!" And it was uh, it was another team from the United Kingdom that I guess that come run towards their tent and they scared the bear away. So anyway, when I got off that, when we came out of the tent, you can see the the bears, uh, the bum going over the ridge there. Uh, so. Um, so that was pretty, pretty intense, intense moment. Uh, not only like, and there was a, there's a rapids called the Five Finger Rapids, and uh, man, I don't know how we went down there. I have no idea. It was just a miracle we made it down this rapids, eh? And um, so you had to deal with the elements. Not only the elements, um, you're gonna make sure you have enough food. You gotta make sure you, um, you have maps and uh, GPS, and and of course, when we got to the United States. You know the border. The GPS went off. Like the mark, there's a mark on the uh, 
were to follow the river. And uh, that went on a blink. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so of course we panicked and there's this place called uh, Circle where um, uh, the river just starts going all over the place, just like a braid, this, this braided river, you know, you know, it's just, it's pretty wild, pretty scary, pretty scary situation. And then... Um, <laughs> It sounds like, Kelly, it sounds like. We're going to have to take a break here, Kelly, but I definitely want to ask you a lot more questions about this, not just a race, but an adventure as you describe it. Kelly Linklater uh, competed in a 1,000-mile canoe race down the Yukon River last year, and I believe he's getting ready, gearing up to do it again. So we're going to talk more with Kelly after this short break. If you have a question for Kelly, if you've got a question for Dustin Martin, if you've got a question for Simeon Gibson, any of our endurance athletes, what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Challenges to societal harmony abound. Trauma, depression, addiction. In Native communities, these challenges affect nearly everyone. The Native American Social Work Studies Institute educates social workers for careers to address the needs of Native communities. You can be part of the solution as a peer support worker, community health worker, or a counselor with culturally relevant training from the Native American Social Work Studies Institute. Info at online.nmhu.edu. New Mexico Highlands University supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. What's the farthest you've ever run? What's the highest peak you've ever climbed? Have you ever swum across a broad river or lake? Tell us about it at 1-800-996-2848. And a reminder that you can always listen back to today's show or any of our past shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a caller right now. We have Clifton listening online on the NV1 stream in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hello, Clifton. Hey, uh, this is an exciting show, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Simeon's uh, story is really uh, neat. I've been bicycling since uh, uh, college and really love it and never was able to lose weight, and it turns out uh, that I was riding too hard and too fast, and what I should have done to lose weight was take it easy. Uh, This, by the way, according to a book I'd like to share with the oldsters called Younger Next Year, Uh, And it just basically says, you know, there's a heartbeat rate of about 110 that's good for weight loss. And there I was all these years trying real hard. So my cardio is good. And now I'm going to start the weight loss. And Simeon and uh, uh, Mr. Linklater, you guys are my heroes. I've got a big old truck with room for my bikes and my canoes. But I don't know about these races. Thank you very much. (laughs) All righty, Clifton. Thank you for that call coming in from Albuquerque. And we have another caller in New Mexico, Ruben who's listening in Santa Fe. Hi, Ruben. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can, Ruben. Okay. Um, I was inspired of listening to what you were doing, Mr. Spruce, about the bike endurance. I just wanted to let people know I'm a 72-year-old senior that rides 30 miles a day times three times a week, almost 100 miles a week. I just completed the uh, half century in Santa Fe, the 50-miler. And I belong to a Seniors on Bike Riding Club. We ride three times a week. And I just want to make sure that those uh, that are consider themselves uh, senior elders, that uh, bike riding is a low-impact sport, and it's very good for the cardio, the endorphins, and all-around health. And I just want to let you know that we seniors out here are out biking too as well. Maybe not endurance, but we're riding at least 100 miles a week. So I just wanted to let you know. 
Ruben, we sure do appreciate that call. Uh, but don't give me credit. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the one. It's Simeon Gibson and our other guests. Are, they're the ones that are out there actually competing and, and doing all this training. And Simeon, I'd like to go ahead and give you a chance to respond to Clifton, who's obviously inspired by your story. So please feel free to respond to him or Ruben with regard to this passion for cycling and, and endurance sports. Like I was said, somebody, somebody just said that cycling is good when you're a senior. I happen to be, I just in December, I turned 77. And I, I it's easy on my knees. However, I have wore out. I had a, I had a complete, knee, complete knee rebuilt. And they told me the last 15 to 20 years, I wore out that cushion in seven years, had to go back in and, and redo it. But I'm thankful that we have the technology to to accomplish those kind of things, and Absolutely. another thing is um, my my ride. It even though it's on it's by bicycle, it, it's cost it's costing me. And I, if it's okay, I want to put out there that I have a GoFundMe page. Just just go to GoFundMe and and search Simeon, and you'll find me. Well, thank you, Simeon. Appreciate that. And I want to go back now to, to Kelly Linklater again, and and he is. The, the gentleman from Manitoba, Canada, who competed in that 1,000-mile canoe race down the Yukon River. And, and not only was it a big race, but uh, just an adventure with a, a bear in, invading the campsite and, and just all kinds of uh, crazy things going on. Kelly, I, I want to ask you, I mean, this is an extremely competitive race, as I understand it. How hard is it to actually gain entry into this 1,000-mile race down the Yukon? Oh, um I think you know, there, there's a website there eh, that uh, describes all that, but um, I think it was last year there was, I think they only accepted 20, oh, 26 teams, I think, but um, over 100 teams try to apply and uh, they accept them based on experience, uh, being able to, to, like if you have uh, canoeing skills, of course, and survival skills, and um, I guess the mental and the spiritual, emotional to 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 suffer through through you know uh, hours of paddling during the day because um, so that's what they base it on mm-hmm. and um, and and that uh, and personally speaking that that helps and um, I know my partner almost lost it there when we when we got into the uh, the braids there like she you know started getting hysterical and freaking out and crying and. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm telling myself, okay, don't freak out. Whatever you do, Kelly, don't start freaking out too. Don't start getting scared. Don't start. But you, you know what I mean? Expressing emotions, just just calm your partner down. It's going to be okay. So, you know, that's what I did, eh? So you, you got to go through that. And um, 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 there's exhaustion, there's heat exhaustion. And then, um, you know, there's just so many things that are going on, like during that day and, and uh, once you get out there, because there's there's no rescue, you're on your own. You got to finish, and um, so you got to basically try to stay alive and come out of this alive. And um, uh, th- so that's how that's what the race is. And but it's it's such an experience. It's such an extreme experience to be out there. And um, um, uh, there's so many things to see, so many wild animals to see, and. Um, uh, you, you hardly see the people you're racing with because it's like once they say go, you know, you're you're lucky you, you see anyone when they after you everybody starts getting going. And uh, but uh, this this was our said this was actually our second try. Our first attempt was 2019, and then uh, about two maybe about 400 kilometers in. I'm not sure what kilometers to miles are. That's four, uh, 
four, let me see, six, 12. It's about 180, 100, I don't know, 100 miles, something like that. Anyway, we tipped, we like the canoe tipped and we were in the water for like half an hour and then uh, hypothermia and try to get the, you know, the fire going and then no, but we couldn't finish the race that time. Like, oh, but this time we were determined, eh? But uh, the, yeah, so the, that was our second attempt. We were, we were determined to go back and finish it. So we went last year and we finished it, but that's how, what I mean about the, you know, it's an extreme race, eh? But yeah, the rewards sure. of getting, you know, finishing, seeing that bridge, I think it's called a, uh, what is this? I, I forget, I keep calling it. Anyway, there's a bridge there, you know, you keep looking out for it and boom, there it is, eh? You know, but <laughs> but when we, were, when we were paddling, I think it was the, it was on a Sunday, the last day. It was the last, the second last day. We we're paddling along and I'm trying to, you know, when then I look over to the, look over to my, to my right, eh? Right side of the, the Yukon River and there's this, there's this fella walking like walking on the shoreline. I'm like, what What the hell is this guy walking in the middle of nowhere for? Who is that? So I, I look to my left and shake it off. Man, please, Kelly, don't freak out. I hope you're not hallucinating, <laughs> eh? So when I look back to the right, and yeah, this this person is walking kind of hunched over, and he's looking on the shoreline like he's looking for something. You know, like, okay. And I'm thinking, okay, that's got to be one of the racers. So I'm looking for a canoe. No, no canoe. Okay, I'm looking for another person because there's two people, eh? There's no other person. And then there's a creek, maybe about, it's probably about 20 feet wide, 20 feet. So I look to my left again, shaking it off. And I didn't want to tell my partner because, like, I didn't want her to freak out again because she was freaked out, like, the day before. You just, you you know what I mean? I didn't want to. So now I look back again, and whatever was walking on the shoreline was on the other side of the, the other side of the, the, of the Uh creek. You know, you know how creeks come out into the rivers, right? You know, like he's walking on a, walking on a shoreline, like looking around, like hunched over. And I'm like, man, like, man, I wonder, I wonder what's, I wonder if that's what I think it is. And I'm like, you know, okay, anyway, I'm not going to tell anybody when I, you know what I mean? I'm not going to tell this story to anybody. People are just going to think I'm crazy anyway, you know, I'm losing it. But then again, you're out there in a bush and then of course you're going to lose it, you know? But anyway, whatever it was, was there walking. And it whatever didn't look, it was, you know, whatever, whatever was. yeah. You know, well, of Kelly. course people would say it was a Sasquatch, right? Or a Bigfoot or whatever. I don't know, man. I don't know so, either. Uh, yeah. I don't know either. Kelly, I don't this know is just, either, man. This is yeah. a, a really fascinating story. And it's a, a, it goes a lot deeper than just that canoe journey for sure. Really appreciate, Kelly, you sharing these stories and, and sharing your passion for, for the canoe race. Uh, again, it's Kelly Linklater, Manitoba, Canada. We have one more guest who's been waiting patiently for her time to talk. Joining us now is Jolie Varela. She is the founder of Indigenous Women Hike. She is Tule River Yokut and Paiute. Jolie, welcome to Native America Calling. Manahu, how are you doing? I am doing great. I'm just really enjoying this conversation. Excited to talk to you now. And I know you're a hiker. You traverse hills and rocky terrain. Just to start out, what should people be mindful of when going on long hiking trips? Yeah, well, you should always let everybody know where you're going. You should be prepared um, with everything you need. You want to set up your tent and make sure you have everything Um, the rain fly and make sure your tent's able to go up properly before taking it out. 
um, you you just want to check your water filter before you go because we've ran into that problem before on our very first hike, which was 190 miles. Um, and so you just want to make sure that all of your gear is working correctly and also that, you know, you've been walking and getting prepared every day to take that journey, um, you know, physically, but also mentally and spiritually. So there's a lot to do uh, to prepare for um, a, a through packing trip. And it's it's difficult because not only are we um, hiking very long distances and basically carrying everything that we have and need for this hike on our backs, uh, but we're you know we're away from the comforts of sleeping in a bed at night and having home cooked food and even um using a uh, a bathroom you know so we're we're away from these these comforting things but i also think that you know that is what what makes our journey and our ceremony on our ancestral trade routes um what it is sure sure absolutely jolie tell us more about the indigenous women hike Okay, so I was inspired a lot by my time at Standing Rock, and I was wondering what can I do at home for myself, for my community. And I went back to Payahunaru, or the so-called Owens Valley, and people come from all over the world to hike, climb, fish, um, and just recreate on our homeland. But, um, you know, I wanted our people to be out there and experience it more because a lot of times on the trail, um, I didn't see any of my other relatives. So uh, I thought, well, let's start a youth program. But at the time, I didn't have the resources or the knowledge to do that. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to start with myself, and I'm going to hike what I knew then as the John Muir Trail, a 200-mile trail, and I was going to get myself ready for that. So I started making these videos and maybe I got to the past that day and I was able to share it and maybe I didn't and I was able to share that experience and I put it on social media and it resonated with the other women in my community and they decided hey we want to go too and I said well all right let's do it and that's how Indigenous Women Hike came to be um, so Another thing that I wanted to talk about, like our first journey was 190 miles and we were on the trail for 22 days and it was six other native women joining us at different spots and myself and who is now my best friend and sister, Autumn Harry, um, we were on the trail together the full 190 miles. And I wanted to share a different perspective as a fat person um, because a lot of the times the bodies and people that we see are like thin white people, you know? And I hardly see anybody with like a fat body represented in outdoor recreation. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a big woman. And for me to stand at the top of the highest mountain in the lower 48 and to know that my body took me there, traveled 190 miles, and I was able to look down at my homeland and feel really proud of myself and my journey um, is really important. And I think it's really important for other people in Native communities to see um, because we, we have big people in our communities. And we need to see that, you know, our bodies can do these feats too. 
Um, so that's another conversation that I wanted to have and, and bring up. Like in, endurance athletes are athletes come in every shape. Um, and, you know, I can carry 50 pounds on my back for 190 miles. And, you know, I'm not coming at it with the angle of like needing to lose weight or anything like that. I'm thinking more in terms of I want to get strong. I want to travel the trails that my ancestors traveled, um, and I just want to feel good. Jolie, it sounds like you're doing everything right, and along with your sisters who are joining you in these hikes and uh, Indigenous women hiking. We're going to have to wrap up the show in about another minute, but if I'm not mistaken, you have um, taken upon yourself, your group, you are renaming some of these trails to give them a more Indigenous profile. Is that right? It is, yes. On the first hike, we act, we fell short of our destination, and we found ourselves at SQUAW Lake. And as Native women, being there, we're like, wow, this is not okay. Like, But it was like, you know, fate. We ended up in this place with this disparaging name, and that was the moment where we decided to symbolically change that name to Numuhuhupi Lake. And, you know, years later, when Deb Holland put out that call to change these names on public lands, our followers, our supporters remembered that story, and they submitted the name that we chose. And we just got an, an email, and it was like, it is now Numuhuhupi Lake, which means Paiute Women Lake. So this summer, we make our 70-mile journey back to Numuhuhupi Lake to have a conversation with the land and the lake and share medicine between each other. Um, and take it home. Jolie, thank you for, for sharing all these experiences in this background. Again, Indigenous Women Hike, that is the name of the organization. Folks, we have reached the end of the hour now, but I would like to thank all of our guests before we wrap up. Simeon Gibson, Dustin Martin, Chief Gary Harrison, Kelly Flinklater, and Jolie Varela for what's been a really inspiring conversation on the cultural and athletic facets of endurance sports and undertakings. Join us tomorrow for our regular monthly food show, The Menu, hosted by senior producer Andy Murphy. We'll talk again soon. Support by Amerind, Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Amerind works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. The deadline for applications is May 31st, and you can find everything you need to apply at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org, or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One. 
the Native American Radio Network.